0: Welcome, everyone. My name is Rami Khalil, and today I have the honor of interviewing two leaders of the Tenants' Bill of Rights campaign in Tacoma, Washington, which just scored a historic victory. The Tacoma Chapter of Democratic Socialists of America, DSA, led a ballot initiative campaign that won the strongest protections for renters in Washington state. Tacoma DSA built a large coalition behind a successful campaign, which was organized as Tacoma for All. And our campaign faced a corporate opposition that shattered all spending records in Tacoma history. And despite all of this corporate money pouring in from out of state, voters in Tacoma narrowly approved initiative one in November, 2023, establishing a tenant bill of rights for over 100,000 renters, which could bring the rise of homelessness and poverty in the city to a halt. Again, my name is Rami Khalil. I normally work as a public school substitute teacher, But for a number of months, I served as the campaign co-manager of Tacoma for All, working in the trenches alongside both of these amazing leaders I have here with me. So welcome, um, Jennifer Barfield, Ty Moore. Could each of you please introduce yourselves and let folks know what roles you served on the campaign and DSA and in your unions?
1: Hi. Yeah, my name is uh, Jen Barfield. I am co-chair. Uh, communications co-chair for Tacoma for All, and uh, on the steering committee of Tacoma DSA, also communications officer, and I'm a school office secretary in Tacoma Public Schools and an association rep for the Tacoma Education Association.
2: And yeah, my name is Ty Moore. I was the campaign manager uh, for Tacoma for All, and also serve on Tacoma DSA's steering committee and, um, well, I was doing that full-time, but I've recently taken a job with UFCW367, which played a, a central role in the campaign as a community and political organizer. So thanks so much, Rami, for putting this together.
0: Absolutely. Thank you all both for being here. And all three of us are members of DSA, both me, Ty, and Jen, um, and, as well as DSA's Reform and Revolution Caucus. And we are super proud to have helped lead this campaign alongside other impressive Tacoma, DSA, organizers, labor, and faith and community leaders. So let's dive in. Um, it's been over a month now since we won this big victory together. Now that you've had some time to reflect, um, Ty, could you could you say what do you think that the main achievements of this campaign were?
2: Yeah, I mean, alongside what you said, we won the strongest tenant protections in Washington state. Um, in some ways, uh, some of the protections we led, we initiated our, our precedent study nationally, um, too. So I think it, it was really exciting. And Tacoma is, you know, doesn't have the reputation like Seattle of being this liberal mecca. It's more of a working class industrial city near a military base, all these things. So it's, you know, I think it's really impressive that we won this here. Um, we also built a community coalition with labor, with uh, faith organizations, a big coalition that was able to overcome the combined opposition of the mayor, the city council, and as you said, the biggest corporate funded political opposition campaign in the history of Tacoma politics that outspent us three to one um, with the National Realtors Association, the Chamber of Commerce, and two major uh, landlord uh, organizations up against us. Um and in the midst of this, I know this is not the main topic of the interview, but we also elected DSA's first city council member, Jamika Scott, a uh, uh, Black Lives Matter activist that came longtime Tacoma community organizer, artist, um, who recently joined DSA and won uh, her, her bid for city council. So it was a really banner year for uh, socialists in Tacoma politics. And we're a real player now. Um, I think DSA emerged out of this campaign, out of both these campaigns, as in some ways the second most you know, uh, significant political force in Tacoma politics outside of the sort of network of the establishment right wing of the Democratic Party itself. We were able to solidify our relationship with key labor allies, particularly as we'll get into UFCW 367, the 8,000 grocery store workers in the South Puget Sound. Um, and I think just put ourselves on the map as a, as a powerful political force in Tacoma politics.
0: Exciting stuff. Thank you, Ty. Um, And Jen, could you, could you describe the the housing crisis afflicting Tacoma? Like there's all this skyrocketing rent and, and, Mm -hmm. and could you share any stories about how that particularly hits women and communities, communities of color the hardest?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's becoming more expensive all the time for people um, to live in Tacoma. We just don't have the, the jobs and the pay here to support the cost of living increases. Um, when we were out talking to tenants, even before the campaign, we kept hearing stories about units that were in disrepair, fire alarms not working, mold, appliances that that weren't working, and you know, in the meantime, landlords were increasing rents by sometimes up to sixty percent. Um, but because of the cost to move to a new unit. How difficult it is to to find a unit that that folks can afford. People were, um, you know, feeling forced into just signing uh, leases with these, um, you know, ridiculous rent increases, with the hopes that maybe their landlords would, you know, fix something. Um, so I mean, it's it's it, you know, it's definitely affecting um, you know tenants all across the city. Um, I work in a public school. And you know, we have some amazing counselors, we have a resource center for our families that was opened up last year. And so folks can come and get uh, food and clothing and uniforms, school supplies, diapers. They can get connected with uh, job resources and other community resources, just all sorts of stuff. But the one thing that we can't help them with is the rent. Um, and it, it really does seem to be the cost of rent that's driving families to our resource center. Um, families that considered themselves to be doing fairly well have found themselves spending, um, money that they were saving for maybe a down payment, um, on a home to buy RVs to live in. Um, I mean, that's, that's one situation we've had, um, because they, they simply cannot afford the, the rent increase at their apartments. Um, we have many, many families that are living doubled up with, with other families, and we have we also have several families, um, single parent households who've been evicted, can't get into a place anywhere um, that are living in uh, local shelters or bouncing around, you know, um, couch surfing. Um, we have uh, one one family in particular who um, you know, mom a single black mom who you know makes, you know, decent money, but because she's just living on the one income, um, she's not able to get into an apartment. She can't make it through through the screening process because of the income requirements.
0: Wow. Thanks for explaining that. And then, so now that Initiative 1 just passed, this Tenant Bill of Rights, can you explain um, what changes are going to be going in effect now that this new law is, is actually already in effect?
1: Yeah, so... Um, you know for me one of the biggest things is the the school year eviction protections um if you have a student um you know attending attending school in tacoma and you fall on you know hard times economically you have a defense to eviction now um you uh during the school year so between you know september and june um You know, and and I think that this creates an incentive for landlords to work with families um, to to catch up on payments um, and hopefully avoid the eviction process. And uh, we also have the cold weather eviction protections from November 1st uh, to April 1st, uh, which is which is going to be huge. That covers everybody in the city. And uh, on top of that, we have the six month notice of rent increase. Um, that requires landlords to give two notices of rent increase before it goes into effect and just allows families more time to plan for for rent increases. Um, if the rent goes up by five percent or more, there's rental relocation assistance, um which is which is really gonna be huge, I think for folks um, to make it more affordable to to move um, if if you feel forced to move um, with a five percent increase. In in rent, uh, landlords could be required to pay two months, and then it, it goes up from there up to three months. Uh, rental relocation assistance. Um, there's also a cap on move-in fees. So uh, to move into a place, you know, um, all of the move-in fees deposits combined can equal no more than one month's rent. So no more of the first last deposit and this and that. You know that that can really um make it impossible for folks to afford to move into a new place um and then rent uh the fees um have been capped at ten dollars a month which um is obviously gonna you know if a family does fall on uh you know economic hard times um having the um You know, they they won't find themselves just digging a deeper and deeper hole of debt that they need to um, to get out of. So um, yeah, these I think these are all huge protections um, for for renters.
2: Just to add, just to kind of impact it on the relocation assistance, one of our main campaign activists, Gwen, who obviously you know you both work really closely with, you know, just got a notice of a twenty five percent rent increase. And, you know, the landlord sent that notice the day before this went into effect. So they're trying to say they don't have to pay relocation assistance. We're pretty sure the law is going to be on our side and we do. But if Gwen gets her relocation assistance, it's going to be $4,200 that the landlord has to pay her for raising the rent 25% and uh, forcing her out. But, you know, that's that's an important chunk of change for a single mom um, who, you know, is a, a para at, at schools not making a lot of money, um, that could be game changing if we can get that money for Gwen and, you know, renters across the city.
0: Yeah, and I think altogether, um, these policies represent arguably some of the strongest protections for renters in the country. In Washington state, rent control has been banned by the state government, so we we weren't able to implement that at the Tacoma city level. But other than that, um, these are some of the strongest protections in the country, which is really exciting. Um Cool. So I think one of the most unique and successful factors of this campaign was that the coalition was quite broad. It was backed by unions, faith groups, community groups, but it was also led by socialists and even Marxists like us in the Reform Revolution Caucus. Ty, could you introduce us to the coalition, Tacoma for All, and what were the roles played by DSA and the United Food and Commercial Workers Local 367?
2: Yeah, well, yeah. DSA really initiated the campaign. In some ways, it goes back a couple years. We we developed a Tacoma Home and Tacoma for All Housing platform that was much broader than this, just the tenant bill of rights. About you know what? How can we transform uh, housing policy in this city? Um, and we campaigned around that. We pushed city council. We pushed um, tried to get coalition partners to sign on. And you know when predictably the city council was not interested in passing even little bits of our platform, we decided to run the tenant build rights section of it as a ballot initiative. Um, But we knew from day one, um, even before we decided that, you know, the only path to victory was building a broad coalition, particularly bringing the labor movement on board, given their social weight. We knew the landlords were going to ferociously fight us and the DSA alone, um, even if we could supply the bulk of the activists wasn't going to be enough. To overcome the lies and disinformation that we needed you know the credibility of a broad array of community leaders labor leaders behind the campaign and, and the resources so and the key uh that opened all the doors for us was as you said ufcw 367 we had a couple of dsa members who were rank and file leaders there who brought it to their union and you know and their their union leadership turned out to be really supportive too because you know ufcw members 8,000 grocery store workers one of the number one things they're dealing with outside of the workplace is housing insecurity. They have members sleeping on each other's couches and cars coming into work, you know, without a home or being forced to move far, far away from where they work. So it's a real issue. Um, And um, so they were heavily invested. They, over the course of the campaign gave us 17,000 bucks uh, which is a lot for a small union like them. Um, and they, you know, kind of paved the way for getting the Labor Council's endorsement and a lot of other unions to to back us. So I think that was critical. And, you know, their their staff time, they put it into this campaign. They really turned their members out hard uh, to vote for it in the end. You know, that proved absolutely pivotal. So it was a really important alliance um, that, that was a foundation of this campaign.
0: Thanks. And another kind of interesting question I have is, Tacoma is not one of the largest cities in the country, and it's not known for left-wing politics, right? It's, it's a blue-collar military town. It's literally right next door to the military joint base, Lewis McCord. And in fact, the landlord lobby tried to use this to their advantage. They, they, for example, they sent out this press release. Uh, the Rental Housing Association of Washington wrote, um, they, they, quote, put out the call to their 5,000 members, which are basically most, mostly wealthy landlords across state. to to help organize and defeat the Democratic Socialist Party's proposed housing regulation ballot measure. Um, The statement also declared, quote, that the Socialist Party of Seattle is taking to Tacoma their failed public policies, unquote. So, Jen, um, why do you think it was voters in Tacoma that approved the strongest protections for renters in the state rather than more progressive cities like Seattle or Olympia?
1: I mean, uh, you know, Tacoma is a blue collar working class town and, you know, we've seen the costs for everything increase while wages have stagnated, like I said. Um, and so, you know, it's it's really basic, you know, the, you know, <laughs> right to have a roof over your head. I think when people feel like that really basic thing, like being able to have a, a secure place to sleep uh, is threatened, um, people feel feel very motivated um, to act. And and, uh, I think, you know, folks have seen what's happened over the last several years with billionaire investors coming in, gobbling up all of the the housing stock, the rent increases, and lots of working class families have been forced out of Tacoma, even families that have been here for generations. So um, people are, you know, rightfully fed up with uh, the status quo around here. And we were able to connect with folks um, and their frustrations uh, during the campaign and um, build a movement out of that.
0: Yeah. And it was really impressive. Like there was a real discussion happening in town. Like lots of people were talking about it um, as the, as the vote got closer. So yeah, it was interesting. Thank you. Um, And Ty, I have a question for you. What um I think one of the most impressive and interesting parts of the campaign was how you overcame not only the big real estate industry but also the mayor and the city council who tried to co-opt your efforts. Um Ty, could you share the story about how you all navigated that?
2: Yeah, I think it is one of the most interesting and from the point of view of, you know, lessons for other DSA chapters one of the most important aspects of the campaign because you know, from the beginning Uh, we understood that it was possible that the city council would exercise its, you know, so-called right to put a competing watered down tenant bill, tenant uh, package of protections in front of voters. And that would be a really difficult obstacle for us to overcome. Um, You know, so Uh, We, from the very beginning, you know, one of the main reasons we wanted to build such a powerful coalition and so much support for our rights is to cut across the city's ability to do that, to kind of isolate the political establishment, make it more difficult for them to put a competing initiative forward. But they were in some ways smart. What they did is after we started gathering signatures, they invited us to the table uh, for negotiations. So the mayor directly reached out. Um, we sat down for five meetings with them between uh, April and June um, with the mayor, four city council members, the city attorneys were there, city staff, you know, they really kind of rolled out the red carpet, they were, were sweet talking us, really gracious, uh, welcoming, you know, we'd notably not been able to really get an audience with the mayor in the whole run up to this, but as soon as we had some leverage, of course, you know, they're, they're talking to us um, frequently. And they basically put on the table at the first meeting, uh, if we can reach a compromise, are you guys open to a compromise where you would not turn your ballot signatures in, where you would not trigger the initiative? And, you know, I think it was a potential trap for us in two directions. If we would said, no way, you know, we're not interested in meeting with you. This is just a charade. We're going forward anyway. That would have given them the uh, opportunity to sort of dismiss us and undermine us with our coalition partners and with more moderate voters by saying, look, these uncompromising radical socialists, they wouldn't even sit down to negotiate. They wouldn't even take the negotiation seriously. On the other hand, um, you know, I think they hoped um, that by, you know, bringing us in, giving us a seat at the table, that they would be able to, you know, um, Kind of co-opt us right drive some fissures or divisions in and um and have some of our folks in our coalition be like well we should really accept this they're being really nice um you know should we really antagonize and wreck our relationship by rejecting you know whatever compromises that might come along so we took we took it really seriously we messaged our whole membership or a whole base you know thousands of people on our email list saying okay we're in these negotiations We were reported, we'll report out after each meeting. And we did. We had a totally transparent, open approach. We weren't going to, we said we're not going to agree to any deal without bringing this back to a democratic vote. We set up an action conference um, that that in June, right before we needed to turn the signatures in, that all our supporters were invited to. And we said, anything the city brings forward, we're going to put to a vote. Do we accept the compromise or do we go forward with it? And I think that was quite important because A, it created a pressure on the city. It wasn't just the, you know, four or five of us who were in the negotiating room they needed to convince. They needed to convince our whole movement um, that they had an adequate compromise. So it added a pressure to them. And on the other side, it helped convince our base who, you know, working people are understandably skeptical of leaders, even if you call yourself a socialist that, you know, you once you start rubbing shoulders with the mayor, that you're going to sell them out. And there was nervousness. There was nervousness amongst our activist base that, that this was a risk, and clearly it was. So um, so promising a democratic process was very important to uh, navigate both all these tensions and pressures. In the end, I think the city became clear that we weren't going to be, you know, kind of bought off cheaply. and um, And they, you know, I think, Uh, Ended up with a pretty rotten compromise on the table, not offering anything on eviction protections, not offering any relocation assistance, which are the two biggest ticket items we wanted. And um, um, in the end, it was not a debate in our coalition. The action conference in June, 100 people gathered and voted pretty much unanimously to go forward. And as predicted, the city, you know, uh, subsequently voted to put their watered down version as a competing ballot initiative. Um, you know, we ended up suing them, they made an important legal blunder, um, and we ended up suing them to kick it off, and we were successful, and in the end of um, end of August, the court came down and said their uh, competing initiative was thrown off the ballot, only ours would stand, and um, the rest is history, that was a critical, critical win for us, it really um, humiliated the city government, and you know, from then on out, basically the mayor and most of the city council was completely silent for the rest of the campaign. I think it was, we were successful at our goal of isolating them and preventing them from uh, playing a real role uh, to to try and defeat us.
0: Thank and you. Quit- and Why did the judge rule that way? Like what what was wrong with the city council's ballot issue? Don't they have the right to put in a competing initiative on the ballot?
2: Yeah, um, I mean, it's, I'll try and summarize it quickly. They did it in a really deceptive way. They voted in July uh, both to make their competing initiative law. So it was already on the books as of late July and as a competing initiative. So it ended up being a fault. The judge called it a false choice because um, it's kind of complicated. But no matter how voters would have voted on their competing initiative, it wouldn't have changed anything if they would voted yes for their competing initiative the law wouldn't have changed if they voted no on their competing initiative everything they vote the city council had already put in place would have stayed the same so it sort of created a very deceptive um, dynamic for voters which um, you know even the judge recognized was uh, not kosher thank you and
0: another big strategy or strategy that the big landlord associations used was to spread fear among small landlords that Initiative 1 would make it impossible to evict what they called problem tenants engaged in illegal activities. And the corporate media definitely amplified these arguments. <laughs> the, the, the various um, landlord packs spent a total of $365,000 um, with four rounds of mailers, three mass text message campaigns, and over $150,000 in TV, TV and other media ads. So, Jen, um, can you tell us how did Tacoma for All overcome all this dark money pouring in from out of state and and the mobilization by the big landlords of the small landlords?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, I think um, ultimately the, you know, our opposition underestimated Tacoma voters. Um, Like, I mean, almost half of the city rents and the other half are, you know, probably former renters and folks were very skeptical um, of the no campaign. Um, and so you know, we knew early on kind of what their messaging was going to be. They sent out these text surveys to people. and in fact, they came into a lot of people that were, um, you know, volunteers on the campaign. So um, we we pretty much knew what what they were going to be doing as far as their messaging. And we started getting that out in our social media and emails to our base, um, right away, uh, just, you know, exposing the landlord lies. And, um, we, we did a whole series on our social media called landlord lies. Um, and the, the messaging was, you know, just fo- really full of dog whistles, um, referring to tenants who, you know, were experiencing economic hardship as squatters. They were appealing to, you know, fears about community safety, um, you know, just really whipping up fears about criminal activity and saying, you know, that uh, landlords would not be able to evict anyone under any circumstances and just basically thinking, you know, that really the the whole argument that they had was, you know, based on this idea that um, renters are bad people who are going to take advantage of the provisions in this measure to screw over landlords And I think that 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 definitely backfired to to uh, a certain extent. And, um, you know, I I think based on the money that they spent alone, they definitely um, could have won. But, um, you know, we we were able to really um, build this grassroots coalition, get the message out um, to voters and and win.
0: Totally. And and yeah, they spent a lot of money, which I'm sure it had some effect on some of the voters for sure. But we also were like, um, you know, doing everything we could, like you said, like we sent out. I have some figures here. We we collected over seventy two hundred signatures to qualify the initiative for the ballot. We knocked on over twenty thousand doors. We made nearly twenty two thousand calls. We sent out one hundred and forty one thousand text messages, um, sent out mailers. We raised one hundred and twenty two thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, from over 470 individual donors, 85% of whom were from right here in Tacoma and Pierce County, whereas yeah. over 90% of the opposition's money was from outside Tacoma. So yeah. it's definitely a serious. Um...
1: Yeah, I mean, they, they outspent us by about three to one, but um, obviously they, they didn't have like the ground game that we did. They yeah. weren't out knocking doors. Um, I would have loved to have seen that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah.
0: And in the midst of this grueling battle um, with the real estate industry, as well as the political establishment, there were also some difficult decisions and debates within our own coalition that we had to grapple with. Like, for example, one question that came up was, is our campaign's tone too oppositional toward big landlords? Um, Another question was, do we need to offer some concessions and compromises to the small landlords to alleviate all the fears and concerns that the big landlords were spreading in the community? And also another question was, was it right to even sue the city council? Um, And the campaign actually only ended up winning by less than 1% of the vote in November. And so one could argue that if we had gotten any of these decisions wrong, we might have actually ended up losing the campaign and not getting more than 50% of the vote. Um, So Jen and Ty, could you explain some of these debates within the coalition reflecting competing social interest groups pressuring the coalition? Um, What... What were some of those debates and what can activists learn from those debates? Jen, do you want to go first?
1: Um, sure. Um, I, I do think that we we made the right decisions when it came to our approach, our you know, oppositional tone with the landlords. They, you know, right from the beginning were using dirty deceptive tactics and just outright lies in their campaign against us, and we needed to address that head on. Um, we needed to address that you know the majority of the money coming into the campaign was from the National Association of Realtors, and we had to address that you know the lies about um, you know how there was going to be this huge new uh, bureaucracy created that was going to be some kind of burden to taxpayers. You know that was untrue, along with uh, plenty of other <laughs> other lies that they came up with with uh, their campaign. Um, and so, you know, we had we had folks in the campaign um who kind of warned us to stand down um when they were stealing uh, the landlord opposition, started stealing our signs. You know, there were concerns that it would be considered kind of like petty or, you know, a little little high school there. Um, we did address it uh, initially on our social media, and then, you know, a a week or two later, um, we started, (laughs) we had, we had a campaign volunteer who woke up one morning to find that a bunch of our signs had been painted with swastikas. So, um, of course, you know, when there's neo-Nazi activity, um, and, uh, you know, this kind of, um, hateful, um, you know these kind of hateful tactics being used. We had to address that head on, and so we came out forcefully in the media um, against that. And uh, yeah, I think that was the right thing to do. <laughs>
0: yeah, thank you, Jen. How about how about you, Ty?
2: Yeah, I totally agree with Jen. I think you know one complicated aspect of the of the landlord opposition is we knew they were organizing behind the scenes, but they didn't come out. Um, in a really public way till the last minute till just the last month of the campaign, um, but I think it was right from we were warning people, inoculating people for months and months and months that this was coming, they were raising it, these landlords were gonna be disingenuous, you know, there was some polling that we flagged early on, and I think if we hadn't and and that's where we got a lot of flack is like, well, let's see if they come out if they come out, you can be oppositional, but you know, but I think if we had not inoculated well in advance um, and warned people um, that, you know, yeah, our our mess, people would have been a lot more confused and thrown off. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there was also, as you mentioned, there was a debate early on, should we make concessions to small landlords? Um, and what we ended up doing, and I think this was totally right, is carving out a, a concession. We said, if you're a small landlord that has uh, fewer than four units and you live on the property you don't have to pay relocation assistance when you hike rents over five or 10%. And of course, you know, there was debate. I think, you know, it's totally understandable. Socialists are like, why are we giving these, you know, small landlords carve outs? Uh, You know, they can afford to take the hit a lot more than the tenants that they're renting to. Um, It's not right. And, you know, while morally and, you know, in the best case scenario, I, I agree with that. I think we had, we were right to make a concession to the mass consciousness. We knew the big landlords would hide behind the small landlords, you know, say, hey, this is going to ruin small landlords. And they did try and make the whole debate about small landlords, mom and pops, shops, people who have been pulling themselves up by the bootstraps, you know, appealing to this sort of, you know, American mythology uh, that still has a big hold on big sections of the working class and middle class. And so I think it was important that we could point to look, we took this into account, we, you know, uh, made this concession. Um, I think that really helped uh, alleviate some of the concerns of of more um, less politically conscious uh, voters. Um, so, you know, it wasn't just like the socialist leadership meant, you know, militant, militant, left, left, left. I think we took a principled approach, but also, you know, a thoughtful, serious strategic approach of what's going to be necessary to win this. Um, but you know, I described this—the decision to sue City Council. We also faced pressure from some of our coalition partners, you know, who were very worried that that would undermine relationships that some some of the union leaders, etc., had with the mayor and City Council members. And they were already a little frustrated at at the sort of sharp way we called them out for their attempt to co-opt us, for their competing ballot initiative, and the the lawsuit sort of just put a nail in that. Um, um, You know, underline that. And, you know, we took that seriously. We had discussions with them. We did our best to sort of bring them along. But in the end, I think it was right. And we had to make a decision quickly that we took that we sued them. Um, And that was absolutely necessary to winning. So I think, you know, the importance of socialist leadership, both standing up to pressures of more um, liberal uh, coalition partners, um, in terms of our messaging and our tactics, while also you know being very acutely aware of where consciousness is at, not getting ahead of the working class votes we needed to win this fight. Um, both of those uh, elements of our tactical decision making was critical to win this.
0: Thank you. And as we start to wrap up, Ty, looking back now over the campaign over the last year or two, what would you say are your main takeaways? Like for other DSA chapters and organizations working on housing justice or electoral campaigns and building coalitions, how can others replicate this kind of success in, that we had in Tacoma?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for me, just sort of the theoretical training that I've had as a Marxist and things like United Front tactics and, you know, how what does it mean to develop transitional demands that meet consciousness, but sort of point in the direction of a challenge to the political establishment, capitalism, all that stuff came in super handy and I think was, was important as a guiding a uh, uh, factor in how we took some decisions. So, I mean, as as we said, we knew on the one hand we couldn't win this without building a broad United Front coalition, without getting labor, community groups, people who were not socialists, who, in many cases, people had close ties with um, the mayor and and city council. Um, we knew we had to bring them on board, and um, and we had to do that in a way that. You know, that some in some ways uh represented concessions to our socialist politics. At the same time, we knew that we couldn't hand over leadership or simply cave in to the pressures that some of these um um more moderate uh sections of the movement uh would have. That it was important that we had a class struggle, socialist leadership that was able to um stand up to that pressure and take some key decisions. So both of those factors um I think we're, we're hard. And it's not always obvious how to do that. But I think our um ability to sort of navigate those pressures, both against ultra-leftism, but also against sort of opportunism, uh, meant that we were able to win the strongest protections. I think that was available. The fact that we only won <laughs> by less than one percent, I think shows that we threaded the needle right. You know, we put forward a very bold, ambitious um what ended up being the strongest protections in the state, but uh, we didn't go too far um, and we wanted to make sure that we could actually win it, not just have, you know, a, a utopian dream of of a policy that was never going to pass. Um, and, you know, we made some guesses early on in the campaign and, you know, uh, it was narrower than we hoped, but but we won it. So I think that was um, critical. And just the final thing is we really built the essay out of this. And I don't think that's automatic either. It's easy to. In these campaigns to sort of downplay um, socialist politics downplay the need for building a socialist organization um, but i think we man, you know we didn't do it perfectly i think there were times we could have even had a higher profile for dsa but you know we understood the core of this campaign understood that you know to really solve the housing crisis, we were going to need to confront capitalism that there's no way even this set of policies is going to address, you know, fundamentally solve the thing that we need a socialist transformation of society. We need to end the profit motive in housing if we're going to actually solve this. And that this is only one step in the direction. And you can win great policies that inch us forward, but if you don't actually use the the fights, use the campaigns, use the movement for reform to build toward revolution. The to, you know play with our caucus's name. That you have to have both. Uh, in any campaign, and I think we did. We we recruited over 60 people to the chapter. You know, relatively small chapter. Our, our membership meeting size you know doubled in terms of the active membership, and we you know recruited I think a lot of working class people, some key union members. Um, so we really strengthened the socialist movement in the city, and you know especially in the media coverage that came out afterwards, we had a high profile for DSA. People didn't just say Tacoma for all. The media, the Seattle Times, et cetera, reported this was led by um, DSA. And I think that was quite important.
0: Thanks. And and finally, you know, we won this campaign, which will reduce the spike in homelessness and, and poverty that Tacoma has been experiencing. But as you mentioned, the work is not over. So my last question, Ty, is what comes next for Tacoma for All and, and DSA?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, we're having a lively discussion and debate about this. But I think number one, You know, Jen just wrote a little draft pamphlet on know your rights. Um, We need to educate uh, 100,000 tenants in this city to actually know their rights and to implement it. We know landlords are trying to get around it. We know the city has come out and said basically they're not going to enforce it. They don't have the resources anyway. So we're going to need to use collective action to educate people, including the landlords, that they can't get away with violating the law. Um, there's also some strong legal provisions. So we're trying to want to make sure tenants know how to exercise their legal rights um when uh, when landlords violate it. So that, that's the number one. We want to do a mass education campaign, find tenants who are prepared to fight back when landlords are violating the law and organize campaign, public campaigns around them. That's going to be critical. But more broadly, I think Tacoma for All and DSA um, are in a position to effectively create something akin to like a, a political party, an alternative working class political center of gravity that can take up lots of different issues. Um, so I think the coalition we built and the you know strength of DSA that has been established puts us in a strong position to run future ballot initiatives, whether that's on social housing, raising the minimum wage, fair scheduling. We, we're debating a lot of different ideas, but I think you know we are looking um, to develop a two, three year plan Um, to really continue building working class political power in this city to impact elections um, and to reshape city politics in the interest of working class. Tacoma is known as the grit city. It's known as the city of destiny. That's the official sort of whatever, uh, what do you call it, title for the city. So I like to say, you know, in this um, working class people in the gritty city should determine the fate of Tacoma.
0: Awesome. Thank you. So um, folks, it's not every day that working class um, women and communities of color win major victories like this, but clearly it can be done. We just proved it in Tacoma, Um, but we could accomplish so much more if more working class folks and young people join the organized socialist movement. If you wanna help win more campaigns like this and build a movement to restructure society along democratic eco-socialist lines, please join DSA online at dsausa.org. And if, if you are a DSA member and you'd like DSA to lead more effective class struggle campaigns like this, please become a monthly donor to Reform and Revolution. It was members of this caucus within DSA that helped lead this campaign alongside other amazing DSA leaders, union and faith leaders. You can apply to join our caucus on our website, and you can also support our work by subscribing to our caucuses magazine on our website, which is reformrevolution.org. Today's discussion actually built upon a shorter interview that we've published in the Reform Revolution magazine. Um, And if you would like a a tighter, shorter summary of this impressive victory, um, you can can read that in our magazine. You can subscribe to our magazine again at reformrevolution.org. So Ty and Jen, thank you so much. Um, And folks out there, thanks for listening. Please like and share this story on social media and spread this great news.
1: Thank you, Rami. Thank you.